Great. Thanks. And we're so far live on call-in and Twitter spaces, just waiting on Clubhouse to join in the conversation. All right, everybody. Here's what I really want to talk about, and it's um, it's going to be something that I hope you can help me with. And I think, Andrea, you can help me. Dr. Danish, I hope you can help me. Um, here's the deal. Okay. Um, I was watching the Super Bowl halftime show, and I thought it was fabulous. And I loved it because it was finally hip-hop, the most famous music, you know, that I have ever heard, getting its due. And then afterwards, uh, there was a, a tremendous um, outcry on the Facebook and Twitter of my friends saying, why was, why do we need that music? Isn't it a family show? And then more outcries. Snoop just released a song um, that, that advocated killing the police. My theory is that that song did not say anything about killing the police. And I went back and listened to it. A, a person who, who collaborated with Snoop might have talked about that, but not Snoop. He did not. Anyway, um, that was the first thing. The second thing is I wrote a paper in 1975 about the student's right to his own language. And in that paper, I said that if we don't make students speak the king's English, which is, after all, the English king's English, but let them write in their own language, their own dialect, what they talked about at home, um, they would be better writers because they would have more to say and it would be more authentic. Okay, so what happened after that, <laughs> that little problem, is that people um, wrote me back saying, how are they gonna get jobs? And from that came my, my disturbance about the whole problem of educating black children because I feel like we're educating, first of all, we're educating all children for a past that is gone, okay? We are not educating them for the future. But Black children, we may also be educating out of their own culture, which we then love and follow and use for halftime of the Super Bowl and, you know, and all of that. And yet, we sort of deny it to them. If you want to get a job in our corporate culture, you got to talk like this and act like this and know this, and it's all white. Well, the, the, the icing on the cake came last night when I was... I was in a room called Plantation Theory, and the author of Plantation Theory, I know this is a complicated um, setting, and I, I don't know if I'm going to ever be able to reset the room with all these, all these convergent factors. But the last, the, the last thing was last night when I went to the room called Plantation Theory, and the... Uh, the author of the book, um, which is really, and, and Heyman has the link, but the, the book is called, let's see, it's called, it's called The Black Professional's Choice 
the black professional's choice between security and um, freedom. And it's available on Amazon. And he had a, the author's name is John Graham. And he had a panel of people and the panel, the panel was discussing how the entire world is centered around white people and how, what would it be like to center a world around black people? And the panel was all black. I, I was uh, the only white person in the room. Yeah, there it is. Okay. I was the only white person in the room. And I sat listening to all my black brothers and sisters trying very hard to imagine a world that was not white-centered, and they almost couldn't do it. And it was it was really interesting because the, it's like they have been conditioned for so long to a white world that they were no longer able to even imagine a world that's centered on them. And so that made me feel like we have erased so much black culture. And what I want to do is try to see, I went to Africa in 2004. God, I'm all over the map because I'm trying to collect my thoughts. And I sort of half have them collected, but I don't have them as collected as I should have if I had followed Rablaka for the Blacks instructions to send her an email with all of this listed out. I don't work that way. That's not my work style. So I didn't do it. And Rablaka was right and I was wrong. But <laughs> anyway, um, I went to Africa in 2004 and five, and Africa is centered way more around black people. And I, and I, I understand, or I understood after going to Africa, what it would be like in a world where I was not the, the centering principle Anyway, back to education. I have called Kalima, who I am just meeting for the first time, but who comes highly recommended as a specialist in education in the Black community, to be my be my helper or my what would you like to be I, my expert. <laughs> Uh, right now, uh, just your homie is cool. Oh man, my homie. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> See, that's something that I would, I have adopted. I learned three things about black culture from two years on clubhouse. One is homie. One is no cap. And the, <laughs> and the third one is more complicated, but it, it involves laying down some bars. Okay. <laughs> I never heard I, I never heard of those last two. Uh, okay, but, laying, yeah. laying down some bars is what you do in the music industry when you're uh, about yeah, to rap. Yep, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so Kalima and anyone else who can help me? How badly are we are we failing black kids when the adults cannot even imagine themselves in the center of their own world as the center of their own world? That these people become adults and they and they they, they don't have a sense of a world centered around them. And I think that's the biggest unfairness because it's almost like it's almost like we eradicated part of them. Um. So, uh, well, first, hello everyone, and I hope my audio is is well because I'm using an Android phone and I'm not sure how 
it's being set up well uh, with the Chromecast app. You just went distant a bit, slightly. I'm not sure whether you moved away from the microphone or. Okay. Yeah. See. I, yeah. I didn't. Uh, okay. So here, let me try this. Uh, this is this a little better. Well, it's a little better. And um, Heyman has different needs because he's trying to record this. It's okay. So, yeah. It's all good. Yeah. Okay. It sounds better, Heyman. Uh, yeah, no, it's just that I think you're, uh, you just walked a little bit away from the microphone. Maybe you put on a headset, right? That was actually. Yeah. So, let me is... try putting on a headset. Maybe that'll work. Yeah. Oh, by the way. Um... Hey, Elijah. Good Hello. to see you. Good to see you. I'm talking about how badly we fail black children and in what ways. And I just, I just spent about 15, almost 15 minutes talking about things I had seen and read, including the, were you in the plantation um, theory room last night at all? I was at the beginning of the room, um, but I, I was doing other things. No, I, I missed last night. Well, the long- I was there last week. Oh, okay. But the longer I stayed in the room, oh, thank you, Kalima. Um, the, the longer I stayed in the room, the more I was convinced about our failure in educating black children to love themselves and, and, what a, and love the fact that they're black. And I found an entire blog about that in in doing more homework for this. Um, the blog is called brownmamas.com. And it's, to me, it's a wonderful group of, uh, of black women in Pittsburgh who came together to try and figure all of this out. And it, it seems to me that a lot of it involves homeschooling, which I would imagine would be my, there it is, would be my suggestion. You know, if I were a brown mama and my kid were enduring what I feel like most black children are enduring in our public schools, I'd be up for um, homeschooling. Anyway, Kalima, do you have your audio fixed or... I'm going to recommend, though, a really incredible show if you haven't seen it. It is produced by a a former Internet content creator uh, named Quinta Brunson. And she has a new show on ABC called Abbott Elementary. Highly, highly recommended. Oh, cool. Thank you. Abbott Elementary. Thank you very much. It's an incredible new show. Incredible. Okay, Kalima. Talk, talk to yeah, me how, about how, how, how am I sounding? Now you're much better. Way better. Great. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, so I still sound okay? Yeah, you sound wonderful. Okay. Okay, great. Um, so, uh, well, for, first, thank, thank you um, and thank Kat and everyone who uh, wanted to plug me in. Uh, to this panel, um, as uh, many of you, if you Google me or I guess uh, y'all hit that link, uh, you'll know that uh, a lot of my work has been centered around uh, STEM education, STEAM education, and getting kids um, who are considered low opportunity youth, uh, which of, of course includes uh, youth of color, um, black youth, brown youth. Um, into uh, some of the most high, high-paced uh, careers um, and activities uh, around technology, um, and and whether that's entrepreneurship, whether that's working for tech companies, um, or whether that's uh, 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 hacktivism and using technology to transform uh, their lives and their community, that's a lot of my work, and uh, and I also. Am uh, an advisor, national advisor with Forward Promise, which is uh, out of the uh, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, uh, which you know the largest foundation uh, as it relates to health, and and health being uh, how do we uh, how do we address the humanization and and what are, and how do we support organizations that are addressing dehumanization and dehumanization and the dehumanization framework. So racism, 
um, and all the different components that um, I guess the, the topic being uh, urban education, that urban education is, um, is, is trying to target uh, as relates to youth and learning. Um, we place that within uh, a framework that we call dehumanization. In answer to your question, um, so I grew up in Bedford-Stuyvesant, Brooklyn uh, during the 80s and 90s. So that is the closest that I've ever experienced uh, to an all-Black environment. An all-Black environment that even though we struggled with a crack epidemic, we struggled with poverty, uh, we struggled uh, with asbestos-ridden uh, hallways and schools and uh, all sorts of environmental racism, um, we never really had to think about our Blackness as related to whiteness, um, that, we, that we were Black and, um, and, we, and we loved being Black. Uh, in fact, I remember um, that it was that your, your, your typical bully um, they would bully you, not just um, for other bullying reasons that you were different in any way, but they would bully you if you didn't know um, the, the, the name of the, uh, 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 of the uh, first person to, to hit the North Pole, um, uh, which was Matthew Henson. Um, <laughs> uh, or if you uh, didn't know uh, many Black history facts, um, that it was a thing, that culture was our pride that with streets named after Dr. King, after Malcolm X, my daycare center was Shirley Chisholm Daycare Center, my, my elementary school was George Washington Carver Elementary School, our rival was Christus Attucks. Um, and so there was an entrenched blackness um, that was strong, uh, but it didn't, it, 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 that, that white supremacy in and of itself, we only knew it from a black perspective, but necessarily not from an experience wherein we felt like the the power wasn't in our hands. That's the thing that we were taught. And so um, the the next time I experienced that was at a historically black college. Uh, when I look at um, shows like Bel Air, right, and uh, someone also mentioned other um, other other media, uh, wherein you're seeing you are seeing black excellence and you're seeing black excellence at the same time um, that we can be who we are and we can uh, critique white supremacy uh, and we can critique um, uh, all those factors that, um, that are overt and covert when it comes to racism and the effects long-term and short-term as it relates to racism. And, and, and I think that that's what happens, is that um, we can create these communities, we can create these uh, sanctuaries uh, for us to know and feel um, th that cultural pride. Um, for, for a promise, we work with many organizations, not just Black and Brown, we also uh, work with uh, Native youth. Um, and that's what Native youth feel, right? Uh, the Native American um, uh, uh, Charter Academy uh, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, it's a school where the colors are, um, so not only is the school on, in, in, um, in tribal territory, um, they also make sure that the police, um, the security guards are, 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 are members of the same tribe, um, and as well that the, uh, that the colors and everything that is there that's represented to, to them. Um, and that's important because I remember when uh, we would we went out there. This is uh, uh, when I was running Kino Labs. Uh, we went out there to uh, teach the kids how to code and hacking and build apps and that sort of thing. And I remember when we gave uh, 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 these young people these the support and the skills and you know and we you know and we we we, we did what we, we, we could do. Um, and then but, but Kalima, yeah. Can, can yeah. I can I just say that you were very lucky because you grew up in in you know totally black neighborhoods and went to a historically black college. But 
if you had grown up in Arizona, I, by the way, was on the board of a STEM school in Phoenix, Arizona, called System School for five years. And it was also aimed at um, at uh, marginal neighborhoods and people who don't didn't get a lot of opportunity. But it was a very mixed environment. And I, I'm wondering, maybe this plantation theory guy is wrong. I accepted his hypothesis because, you know, because I'm white and I have no choice. I mean, this avatar, Pearl Bailey, close family friend, um, but I'm still white, you know, no matter how many, yeah, there it is, plantation theory. So I guess my, you know, my question to you is, what if you are, um, and I'm sure you've read this, what if your kid is going to a school that's, that's very mixed? Like, did you hear that podcast series called Nice White Parents that the New York Times did? No, no, I'm not familiar. Okay, well, you should, it's very interesting because it's about how um, a school of very white liberal liberal kids um, got re they it got redistricted or something like that, and a lot of black kids came in, and the the school became the mixed. And first, the white people pulled their kids out, then the black people <laughs> pulled their kids out, and it was sort of a disaster. Yes, yeah, but that happens all the time. That happens all the time. So what is wrong is integration? Is is that the oh, thing no. that we... No, I don't think integration is wrong, right? Um, I, the thing is that um, whether it was Native youth, whether it was uh, uh, Latin youth, uh, Black youth, no matter the youth who we were working with, um, even if you prepare them, even if they have, uh, they grow up in sanctuaries, um, they are dealing with a predominantly white and racist world. Um, and then they're also dealing with their peers who did not grow up in sanctuaries, who did not grow up in, um, in, 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 in uh, through, with institutions that instilled a sense of pride um, and and self love and um, and 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 characteristics that monitored uh, internalized racism, but it's not very different from what women go through, right? You can grow up as uh, as a uh, as a woman or or someone who uh, identified as a woman, and you're still dealing with a patriarchal, sexist world. Um, and you can grow up with a lot of love um, and, a, and a, a lot of uh, support as it relates to gender pride. Um, yet when you go into the world and you're dealing with that patriarchy, you'll de you're dealing not only with the proponents of patriarchy, but you're also dealing with other women or other uh, self-identified women who um, support that. And, uh, and and feed. Yeah, into that's it. what happened to me. Exactly what happened to me. And so, so what is the solution for both uh, people of color and and both for women? Well, one is that we continue to support those sanctuaries, right? We continue to support and create that, and we expand it, we grow it, and that's why a lot of Black professionals uh, support not only just HBCUs but similar affinity programs within their corporations or even at majority institutions. Um, you know, the Harvard has a great uh, a black professional network. So does MIT, several other institutions. That's one of the reasons why we uh, continue to build on that because we realize that that orientation is just as, is, is just as important, if not more important than instruction. Wow. That, 
Okay, that, but see, this is really a complicated issue. Dr. Dan, are you multitasking or are you with us? Dr. Dan is multitasking. Okay, when he gets, <laughs> when he gets done, uh, I, I would like to hear from him because, because he, you know, one of the, uh, one of the big issues that has emerged on Clubhouse during, um, Black History Month is actually black medical education and dis health disparities because of disparities in the number of black doctors and how people, people are treated when they come upon a white doctor who doesn't understand who they are and tries to apply. I'm I'm not on very firm ground here. I'll wait for Dr. Dan. <laughs> so somebody else bail me out until Dr. Dan gets ready. Oh, wait, there's Dr. Pak Tang. Okay. And I can say that the uh, even at the University of Toronto, there's been a, a initiative to encourage um, um, African Canadian students to come on uh, and examine uh, medical school. Uh, to explore the field as well. And that's been quite successful. Uh, a lot of uh, uh, students from Toronto neighborhoods and across Canada have actually come on and they're actually going back and uh, they're doing quite great things and it's growing. And I think that's the same thing in, doc in Ohio. There's an amazing uh, physician who's a cardiologist, interventional cardiologist, who's actually doing quite a lot of work as well in uh, making sure there's pride in that uh, profession as well. Heyman, what's the education system for um, for children of color in Canada? Well, Does it work be better than the U.S. Well, I mean, the, there's been that uh, there has been some debate over that. There was a school that was all black school in Toronto. Uh, it, it was felt that it was actually helpful, but also others felt that it was um, sort of uh, separating the kids from the overall. Because I think compared to the U.S., we may not have had that segregation aspect. And remember, our schools are public schools, majority are public schools. There are private schools. Um, but for us, thankfully, but again, I can't speak too much. I'll let me pull up an article on that. But uh, what the understanding was that uh, initially, there was a lot of, um, you know, questioning about it. But then people were arguing, look, you've got um, Catholic schools, you've got Jewish schools, you've got different ethnic schools. Why isn't there a fully black school, right? Because there are special uh, history, special cultures to this, and it may help those students who are, may not have uh, spoken up before in, in a, uh, a mixed school uh, to maybe have that uh, additional attention and also be among peers who could, and voice themselves among peers. Um, so it actually, from the school's perspective, actually they felt that it was quite helpful. I'm not sure what the long-term studies were from that group. So I'll pull that up shortly. Okay, Dr. Pak Tang. Oh, yeah. Dr. Francine, thanks for having me on. Um, I guess what is your so you know, you brought up um, two issues, two very different issues like health. Well, I won't say very different, but um, health equity, right? So health equity, particularly for um, black patients, and then also like the the problem that we have um, if with not having enough black physicians, which is huge, um, in order to have those patients uh, feel like they can be seen, be, feel like they can have people that are there um, coming from like a closer um, perspective, perhaps. I'll qualify oh. that. But um, yeah, what, what what's your, what I, I have, I can say a lot about a lot of these things. I've been okay, involved well, I in uh, the should, development I, of a lot of these things. So, yeah, I guess what's your specific question, Dr. Francine, related well, to how we is, can address this? Yes, that is such an interesting <laughs> problem. What's my specific issue? My specific issue is that I think we might be failing black children by educating them to to live in what is essentially a, a racist and white supremacist culture and how then they don't feel proud of themselves for being black 
And this is a this is a serious issue. And when they try to be proud of themselves for being black, like the uh, the halftime show at the Super Bowl, which is what started me on this, you know, those are very accomplished musicians, the people who perform at the Super Bowl show. And then all of a sudden, all the white people in the audience were saying they shouldn't have been up there because that this is a family show. Is that was that the backlash? I I haven't heard this backlash. That was the backlash that made me feel like I ought to do the room because what do you mean not a family show? It's finally a show that black families could be proud of because they could you know it's like hey these are talented people but but it was like yeah no hip hop people should be on there um, because it's a family show. And that said to me, okay, who's the family? You know, it's like the family is only white. I didn't like Well, it's whose family. It's like when you see this, it's like whose family, who's hip-hop? Because hip-hop now is global. It belongs to every child on planet Earth. And I saw videos on TikTok of, like, white grandmothers dancing to Mary J. Blige and dancing to 50 Cent. I saw all types of videos being posted, so I did. I missed this whole. Oh, um, I missed this whole. So, yeah, I so missed this whole argument. But let, just hold on one second, Heyman. Yep. So I missed this whole argument. Um, but what I did uh, catch was like, like with a lot of industries right now, they're doing what I I call it the black save, mm. right? They they don't want to be hated. They've done very anti-black things for generations on generations on generations within these corporations because nfl is a corporation this is a business right so where are the black manager managers where are the black quote-unquote owners within these systems they almost don't exist where are the black quarterbacks and uh and these problems are still there so they it's like they're they're willing to sort of appease um the masses of blacks with this sort of um, performative equity. But it doesn't mean that those, I mean, and that's fine. It was a moment, as they say, for the culture. Very beautiful for a lot of people to experience that as a part of American life. But where's, where's the equity? Where's the equity piece? Because, you know, someone just said in a video last night that had me howling, you know, um, we didn't land on Plymouth, Plymouth Rock. Plymouth Rock landed on us. And so in this situation, that still exists. While Mary J. Blige and all these people were still on stage. And Jay-Z, yes, as a producer, he was able to produce this, the Super Bowl event. It was a big win for him, big win for the culture, big win for the artist, big win for Mary J. Blige. But where's the, where's the win? You know, where's Colin Kaepernick's, you know, apology? Whereas, and I even heard that there was a, a you know, um, a reason why uh, the, you know, uh, the black reformers were told not to kneel. And Eminem, using his, his white privilege, decided, white to take, privilege. Exactly. Yeah, decided to take a kneel and hold it. Okay? Because it's like, you're not going to say nothing to him. No, you're not. You absolutely won't. You won't cancel him. And you will have him back next year or any year that he wants to be there. So that's the fuck shit, if you excuse my expression, that needs to be addressed. Now, back to your original question is, like, how do you get black kids to love themselves? That is a parental issue. It's, you know, you can say it's, uh, you know, systemic, you know, with looking at, the, like, the, what is it, the doll theory, you know, like, like how black children will choose a white doll over a black doll, all of these things. Um, these are subconscious messages that, that just are out here. And I was lucky that I had parents that address all of this stuff very, very early. And um, it's one of the reasons I am the freest Negro in America right now, um, because, you know, I followed the rules. I got straight A's. I did all the things everyone told me, told me to do. But a lot of people, a lot of parents will have this talk uh, with the kids about police. I had a very different talk because my father was a police officer. So it, it showed up very different in my life. It showed up how to contest the police um, uh, respectfully and responsibly using my rights, even as a child, and to use, use that agency that I have as an American 
to say, no, you don't have the right to talk to me this type of way. No, you don't have a right to detain me. No, you don't have a right to do any of these things. And so, and to be able to address this stuff with a cool head and a calm head, that took a lifetime to learn. But I had tons of practice in a very white community in Montgomery County, Maryland. And growing up in Montgomery County schools, it was very mixed, predominantly white. And, um, but what I was also, also taught that no matter what, how good I thought I was, and I thought I was doing all of the things, and I was really sensitive, it was a lot different than I am now. And um, that someone, um, usually a white person, would contest my honesty and, and decide that I got straight A's because I lied, stole, cheated, whatever, did something nefarious to earn what I earned, even in life now. You know what I mean? Now you can add that to it. They say, oh, you must have sucked a dick to get it. You know what I mean? They, it's, there's so much anti-blackness around this. I hear this from black people. You know, so, so I was taught to love myself in spite of all of these things around me. And, you know, a lot of that work does have to come from the parents. Um, <clears throat> you know, I don't want to say it's not up to these systems, but I was lucky that I did have some very strong black teachers and black principals in the midst of all of this who, you know, um, believed in me. Let's put it that way. And also my parents... Shireen, because Shireen says the same thing, basically, that you've been saying. You know, yeah. her, her upbringing was sort of like yours, I think. Yeah, and so I was taught to actually trust systems until I couldn't. Yeah. Right? And to do the right thing, you know, and, you know, until somebody tried to check me, you know, for, for doing the right thing and act like, oh, you didn't do the right thing. You did something else to get this. You did something else to whatever, whatever people coveted about me or were jealous of or envious of. So, um... So, yeah, I mean, it's a very, very complex issue. You know, you asked a lot of kind of loaded questions in a lot of different directions. But I know. just to, I, I, just to, I know. just. That's the problem. It's okay. It's okay. Dr. Keisha's here also, and Senses, and Somas. There's some other folks here. And you also end these conversations too short. <laughs> okay. Well, if anybody wants to come up and participate, I am happy to have them and and listen to what they have to say because I'm really at, you know out, out to lunch on this. I see here's where I am. I see the complication of the issue. You know, Kalima, you you basically are talking from a, a perspective of sanctuaries, you know, for for black kids. But like I grew up in Manhattan. And I was in a gifted program in elementary school. And um, and by the way, you probably don't know this, Kalima, but I'm 80. So it was quite a few years ago. So I, I grew up in this gifted program. And we had one, literally, one Black kid who had to take the train from Harlem to Washington Heights, which was where the elementary school was, to participate in this gifted program. One black kid. And then there was one Hispanic kid. And and you know that and, and that was in New York. In and I grew Adam. up also in, in gifted and talented programs, advanced placements, talented and gifted, whichever wherever you wanted to take that. I grew up with that my whole life. And I was definitely one of the only black kids, but I don't know if that was because I was the only smart black kid and I tested so high that you couldn't deny it um, or the fact that um, some people were being denied access. I don't, know what the, I don't know what the truth was. My parents were very involved in my education, very involved in, in PTA and school boards and all of this stuff. They were like, we're watching you. <laughs> my so parents were very... So they weren't working two jobs. Oh, they were working two jobs? I mean, you just had two jobs. No, I mean, two parents working a job each. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Not two jobs each. No. no. Right. Well, Dr. Keisha. 
Hello. Hi. I'm just so, getting in, so I'm not sure what, quite where the conversation is going. We all over the place, Dr. Keisha. <laughs> I mean, I see the title Super Bowl, but then we're talking about education, so I'll just listen for a minute. No, we were... Well, here's the thing. <laughs> that I experienced in my community some backlash after the Super Bowl that said we shouldn't have had all those black black musicians on the Super Bowl because it's a family show. And that was interesting because, you know, I was a foster parent and I learned about rap from my foster children. And so for me, that was as much, you know, a family show as as anything. And and then I went in a room called Plantation Theory and it was about the problem of black professionals who couldn't imagine a world centered around them. And well, what you guys are always telling me about code switching and how you you know, you have to do it if you're going to work in corporate or you're going to have to work in the, in the professions. So I reached out through a friend of mine to Kalima, who is an education um, advocate and theorist. And would you call yourself a, an education professor, uh, uh, progressive? Yeah, am I, are my politics progressive? Yes, they are progressive. Yeah. Yeah, you're an education progressive. I think. I think. Listen to this. So, because I want to stay on topic in terms of the question of are we doing black youth a disservice or um, are that's really my major question? Yeah, are we? Uh, So, so the question is the answer is no, right? We are great. We are doing better. If we weren't improving and developing and growing at the pace that we were, then there wouldn't be so many forces at work trying to now uh, curtail our voting rights. And that's what happens, is that we can't... So so even though we didn't cause the affliction, um, we eventually build a resistance to it and then we learn to heal it through um, through our art, through our media, through our conversations. But we begin to work and develop one another. Yes, sometimes because you have those who reach a certain class that they disconnect from some of us and don't feel like they can um, or they should uh, give back. But there is enough of those who do, as we say, make it out of the hood, giving back so that we can move forward. And we are moving forward at such an astronomical uh, pace that right now in America, that uh, a, 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 black, uh, a, a black young person is less likely to be addicted to drugs uh, than a white person in America. And I can keep going on statistics that shows that our level of growth and acceleration, a lot of things that Brother Elijah uh, pointed out, he talked about his teachers, he talked about all that reinforcement, all that stuff, that sanctuary that we created for ourselves is working. The problem is that that sanctuary also becomes a voting block, and it also allows us to be able to create and build our own financial institutions and our own political dynasties, which, uh, which we have been doing, and that's been curtailed. And so the forces at work who are curtailing are still the same 30% who have an issue with any black person who headlines uh, a Super Bowl, right? And so the, the article that, that keeps being posted up where we're called criminals, that's always going to come. But like I said, that's our resistance. We know how to ignore that, right? Because we know that that's been, that's been existing uh, since before Jim Crow, since, uh, since they were trying to debate whether or not we should be even be allowed to read uh, while we were serving on actual physical plantations. Yeah, so that is not worth an audience. And every time we clickbait on those articles, then we give them audience, 
when in reality we have moved on and we are moving on. And so I don't think that that's uh, it, 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 it. I don't think it's 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 even it's worth it's not worth our time. And that's what we would say in our community. It's not even worth our time. Kalima, would you run yeah. for public office? Um, it, it's something you, I'm, it's, I'm it's something that I'm currently exploring. Yes. Ah, because you would be yeah. fabulous. You would be such a kick-ass candidate, or at least I think you would be. Um, this is Dr. Pai Tang. Uh, I agree. Uh, thank, uh, thank you for putting this together, Dr. Francine, because I know I got to connect with Kalima on a few different things already. Um, so first thing, oh, my Tesla is acting crazy. Sorry. Um, so a few different things, uh, Kalima, and thank you for saying what you just said. I, we ain't got time for that, right? Like, I don't, I'm, Dr. Francine, I don't really care about the white folks that are commenting on the fact that the Super Bowl wasn't a family show. I don't care. Like, I agree. It's not worth our time. Um, we've been moving past that. Uh, the, Kalima, I would love to connect with you. I'm seeing your um, linked thing you got going here. So I'm on the board of trustees of Seeds Access, uh, which I am a product of. Uh, I was in the third class and I'm now on the board of trustees. And uh, they're an organization that we look for high achieving children from under the poverty line. So whose families are under the poverty line. And uh, we give them extra education. We give them access to tools and networks and all these things um, to, to really try to set their lives up, change their uh, potential. Well, we really do. We have great outcomes. <laughs> um, we change the trajectory of children's lives. Now, just by a demographic of high achieving, and um, we were mostly focused in the New Jersey area, and um, now we're extending our programs outside of New Jersey to Philadelphia and New York. So I'll love to connect with you, Kalima, in the New York area. Um, the, we have gone, and I'll be very transparent, post-BLM, our alumni, my, my community of alumni has said to our organization, like, what are you doing to prepare the mostly children of color that we educate, what are we doing to prepare them for the other life skills that they're gonna need when we place them into predominantly white institutions? And it, we really had to take a hard look at ourselves and say, okay, are we doing good enough? We do a lot. I remember back in 1990, now I'm giving away my age, back in 1997 when I was a seventh grader, and um, getting ready to graduate, I guess 98 actually, getting ready to graduate this program in which they definitely taught me the education that I needed to go from a public school environment into a private school and private boarding school. At that time, we didn't have these ideas. Um, we didn't have the words to say a PWI, a predominantly white institution, right? But I remember the one I will never forget the one conversation we randomly had at lunchtime uh, when we were in our last uh, boarding phase of the program from some of our mentors, some of the student mentors that we had. And they said, look, just be on notice that when you, when you go, especially the ones of us that were going to boarding school, when you go off to boarding school, and when you come back for either Thanksgiving or Christmas break, back to your uh, predominantly black neighborhoods, that people are gonna say the following. Why are you talking so white? Why, like you, why all of a sudden you think you're better than us and you will be ostracized. And that's something that's just going to happen. And you need to know this so that you're not 
surprised when this happens because it is very jarring to come back home where you feel secure and you are now on the outside. Now, where you will be put on the outside. I will never forget that conversation because it's exactly what happened to me and to all of my friends um, that were a part of this program. And we were taking many, many steps to, you know, we had this as the hidden curriculum, right? The positive hidden curriculum, but, and, and it's been all along because we've always had black leadership within our organization. So just, and, and all these other things uh, integrated into the programs that really taught about some of these life skills. Um, but we're really putting our, we're putting our real efforts towards increasing, um, increasing on how to prepare our kids for what is the reality and also how to prepare them uh, and, and taking like deliberate steps now, deliberate steps to prepare them just for real life and what they're going to enter. Um, and like, just on the last thing about code switching, um, a friend of mine, Minda Hartz, she wrote a book called The Memo. She has a new book out now um, called Right Within, uh, and it's great. And I think she's doing a lot of great work. So that's a resource I'll give to you, Dr. Francine. If you're uh, curious about- Thank you. What of course I'm curious. Be, yeah, I know. I know you're curious. But for those listening, if you're curious about what are the things that, the ways in which um, Black women and women of color uh, may, need, may need to operate in the corporate space in order to get the promotion, the advancement that we're looking for. Um, and she describes her book, the, the Memo, and she has a whole organization around it. She describes it as the Lean In, because she wrote it in response to Lean In and her and many women of color's dismay at the privilege um, that, you know, that book really did not accept and like admit to. And now she has kind of looked at herself as well. But um, she describes the memo as the lean in for women of color, specifically black women in the corporate space. Uh, and I think it's a great read. And I think it's some of the things that you're looking for, Dr. Francine. Can you just put, to the give link, you, put the link in no, our back channel? So I can't. Oh yeah, I'll oh. put it in your back channel later. But um, or my car's driving me, so don't worry, y'all. Um, but uh, the the last resource I'll give for the question before, because I don't want it to look like I was evading it, but I too was confused as where you wanted this conversation to go. But the last resource in terms of Black education in the medical field and how we might are the ways in which we can work towards equity. I'll point you to a friend of mine um, who writes a lot about uh, the, a lot of the work that he does in, within the emergency medicine space in increasing equity is Dr. L.A. Alvarez, A-L um, apostrophe A-I, and then last name Alvarez. Alvarez, um, yeah. Yeah, um, who is actually a Filipino-American, but um, he does uh, a significant amount of the work to increase equity, mostly for uh, black, and black and Latinx people, medical students getting into the residency programs in emergency medicine. And he's really changing the game on how do we look at applicants, right? How do we better evaluate applicants um, so that we get, get towards equity? So I'll leave it at that. But uh, Kalima, yeah, I, I'll reach out to you. I too would love to I'm very involved in political spaces in New Jersey and New York, and I'd love to talk about that as well. And, no problem. And, and, uh, and, uh, I just wanted to say that um, Jackie Robinson Foundation and the Thurgood Marshall Fund, both in New York, they're great. They have great programs as to how to prepare uh, young people to navigate um, the corporate maze. That's cool, and I, I'm going to reach out to you again, Kalima, because I'm part of an organization called After We Vote, and it's a democracy-preserving organization uh, run by Andreas Acorso and Leo Smith, a Republican and a Democrat, and <clears throat> we're really talking a lot about the necessity, excuse me, to preserve democracy. 
But I, hey, I want to thank everybody for helping me out here. I, as I say at the end of every room, I love you all for just showing up and giving me an opportunity to learn from you and us to learn from each other. This room is sponsored by the Karma Coin, which is a a coin that I developed on the, the platform rally.io. And while I don't care if you buy it because it doesn't have, you know, it's not like it supports me, it does support 85 other creators. And so if you, um, if you buy five karma coins, I will give you uh, a copy of my NFT called, um, called Money is Changing, and I can teach you about cryptocurrency without you getting ripped off by some scam artists. And my goal with the Karma Club is just to pr promote karma in the world. And so I really, I'm so grateful to everybody because in this room every week, we put out good vibes. And this was a week of, I would say, especially good vibes and mostly because of Kalima and Elijah, who, and Dr. Pat Tang, actually, who were so much more positive on all these issues than I was that I, that I'm hopeful and happy. And that's, <laughs> I like it when I come out of a room being hopeful and happy rather than being like, oh my God, what's the next depressing problem that we all have to address? Anyway, thank you so much. Uh, unless someone else would like to say something, I think we could probably shut the room down. Maybe we Anybody? can, if Dr. Keisha maybe had some thoughts before we close after listening. Well, um, I'm multitasking, but thank you for having me and Dr. Francine. I would also suggest uh, for you, Dr. Jessica, um, Dr. Opara, and you know that we've been um, doing quite a few things. Uh, she's leading a discussion every Saturday, and she literally has tools, objectives, how to look at research, how uh, papers can be biased, and things like that. You know, as far as the Super Bowl, I, I was proud, especially being of that generation, um, a Gen Xer, I, I have to say, uh, at, at what was done. But, you know, I've lived all around it. I'm, I'm similar to Elijah. My, my father is in his late 70s, and he grew up as a physician with a family of 10 against all odds. And he doesn't really share all the struggles that I know about, you know, the words he was called. And he really immersed us into a system where we were the only black family living in Stillwell, Kansas in the 70s, 80s. And it was miserable to me, literally miserable, because I constantly had to prove myself. And as a female, no more the black female, really, we were looked at at the bottom of the barrel. I mean, I have to say it. I did so much, got top of the A's. I was even pushed down from becoming valedictorian. There was always an excuse. So we have a long way to go, but um, banding together and finding allies will definitely help with the situation. You know, there's always going to be people, and it's good because I hear all the time, you hear the backstory about, you know, how they view our culture, how certain things are put out into the media. Um, and again, you know, the, the black thing, it's not a family affair. They really don't know those artists at all. People really don't understand the culture, and it's really a lack of ignorance where those conversations come from. But no, I it's just, a plethora of ignorance, plethora a lack of knowledge. <laughs> yeah, a plethora of ignorance. But I mean, I was in academic medicine, and, and it's even in there at the highest realm. I mean, there wasn't even comment made that you know, uh, from my, from my, not even attending the chairman that um, Henrietta Lacks, you know, they didn't do anything wrong because, you know, there was no breach at that time of any contract or anything. It, it's just it's just a lot of it. Um, I've just finally realized I've got to go out and, and do my own thing and just make sure I'm in a place where there's at least a level of respect. But there's always going to be a hierarchy, especially with the Black women. And we've got to really pull together, uh, get past the ignorance, build our own things as well, because some people, you can't change the institution. You can't change a lot of these things that are already set up uh, to fail us and get our faces out there and try to also in medicine and other fields, those who are up there, try to pull other people along with you, give them the insight on what to do. Thank you.
Oh, that is such good advice. It's and it's true for women too. You know, you got to pull other people along with you. Well, thank you so much, everybody. Um, don't forget the karma coin. If you owned it last week, you have doubled your money. <laughs> and, and I don't know why, to be very honest, uh, it's not an investment. It's a way to support other artists and a way to support this community. It's like my little, you know, private social fan to token. But it's, um, it's a learning experiment for all of us in the way money is changing. So if you want to go buy it, go buy it. And if you don't, hang around these rooms, very often I give it away because, just because. Anyway, see you guys next week where we're going to wrap up Black History. This is disgusting too. I think Rebecca will be back. Rebecca for the Blacks will be back next week and we will wrap up our, our work, our month-long work on Black History Month. And I'm, um, I'm doing some research right now. So if you have anything you'd like to contribute, please let me know. Thank well, you. Thank you, Dr. Francine. Thank you, and Dr. thank you also Francine. for joining from the call-in side. Uh, please uh, join us on the stage next time when we air the show weekly. Take care. Bye. Uh, by the way, this uh, show is uh, simulcast and bi-directionally uh, casted. So anyone on the call-in or Twitter spaces side can actually communicate with any of the stages. So thank you again for uh, for joining us, Grant, Mohammed, and Nunya. Take care.